Now, there is more to the book of Daniel than what we're going to explore. There are great prophecies that he has written, but we've been exploring the biographical part. And so we've come to the very last section of his biography. And I hope that you've gained and grown and been challenged and maybe made to think about things you hadn't thought about for a while. And I hope that's true uh, today as well. They are known as king of the beasts. And unless you are a Johnny Weissmuller type playing Tarzan, you better hope you never have to defend yourself against one with your bare hands because you just won't win. It might surprise you to know that the lion shows up 135 times in the Old Testament. I I didn't realize there were that many references to, to the lion in the Old Testament, but no lion story is more famous than the one we're going to explore today in the life of Daniel. Now, shortly after Belshazzar's disastrous feast, when the handwriting on the wall appeared announcing the conclusion of the Babylonian kingdom and that the fact that the Medes and the Persians would sometime be taking over, Daniel has now been elevated again in the service of the king, the new king, the king of the Medes and the Persians, Darius. And he begins his rule, and Daniel describes the beginning of that rule in this way in chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles open, or if you have your iPad or iPhone or smartphone or something to read along uh, or on the screen, just let's read together. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps that by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. A satrap was the official title for a Persian governor who ruled a region or a province and had been appointed to that region or province by the king himself. As Daniel began to serve with an entirely new government, and as the king prepared to appoint Daniel over the whole realm, seeing that Daniel could handle everything so well, a plot develops. Among those who resent this aging Hebrew administrator to get rid of him. Sometimes, folks, our greatest enemies don't come from outside our circle, but inside our circle. Be very careful. Though an old man at this point, Daniel's enemies nonetheless set about to destroy him. I I wonder if Daniel realized what was going on. I wonder if Daniel could sense their dislike and their distrust of him. I wonder if he knew they were plotting against him. You'd think at his age, with all of his wisdom, he probably had an inkling that he was not their favorite choice. As a young man, I had a lot of misconceptions about growing older. I believed then that preaching would get easier and that I'd be less nervous on Sunday morning. I believed then that conducting a funeral would become less painful and less emotional as the years went by. I believed then that people would eventually stop sleeping during the sermons on Sunday morning. (laughs) After more than 35 years of preaching, I've learned that none of that is true. Sermons aren't any easier. I'm still as nervous. Funerals are more difficult, and yes, people still sleep during sermons. More importantly, I believed when I was a young man that being tempted to sin would lessen with the passing of time, that spiritual disciplines like prayer and personal Bible study would become second nature, and that making the right decisions 
would always be easy. None of that is true either. Age does not change the impact of the challenges that we face on a day-to-day basis. A young preacher asked an older, wiser preacher when he would ever reach the age when he would no longer be tempted. The wise old minister said, son, I wouldn't trust myself until I'd been dead and buried three days. (laughs) I think it's true. You never outgrow temptation. You you never outgrow the challenges that come on a daily basis. And though Daniel had reached an age past 80 at this point in time, and though he was wise, he still was facing the challenges of life. Convictions can be costly. It's interesting to me that Daniel was confronted with a challenge when he was a teenager, and he is confronted with a challenge when he is a senior-aged advisor. And there were consequences to both of these challenges, but I'm here to tell you, the most costly penalty came along with the one that came at the end of his life, not at the beginning of his life. You see, just, just through the process, there, there's never a time, there's never a day when you can finally sit back and say, I've arrived, I've got it all figured out, I've got it all solved. Sometimes I think when we read Bible stories, we have this um, concept that it's not quite real. We we look at the episodes of the Bible through a King Arthur and Camelot kind of a lens uh, that has a rather regal or chivalrous kind of view or feel to it. But I I want you to know this was real life. There's nothing sugar-coated. There's nothing musical or magical about this time period, Daniel was facing these consequences that were life and death choices. And I'm here to tell you that Darius was not much better than Nebuchadnezzar. The Medo-Persian leaders are no less aggressive. They are no less vicious than were their Babylonian counterparts. This is still a very cutthroat culture in which Daniel lives and serves. And the story of this last chapter unfolds this way. These jealous governors sought to discredit Daniel, and, and, and they couldn't find a way to do so. Now, isn't that, isn't that a great thing? They looked, and they couldn't find a way to discredit him. And they concluded that their only recourse was to set a trap that involved Daniel's convictions regarding his faith in God. And so they approached King Darius with an airtight, foolproof plan that would once and for all rid their lives of this Hebrew goody-two-shoes. Let me share with you some powerful lessons that go around this story. Here's the first one. Be careful who you listen to. Be careful who you listen to. The king, the king should have known better than to be taken in by these satraps. They certainly lived up to the second syllable of their name, satraps. They were really good at setting traps, trying to get Daniel out of their way. But the king, the king should have been on guard against these guys. And here's why. Did you notice in verse 2 what we read? It, it describes their dishonesty. Verse 2 says, the satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Do you know what that means? That's a clear indication that these guys were were pilfering the, the till. They were taking the cream off the top of the tax dollars that came in. The king was losing money because these guys were doing something illegal. And when the king placed them under the leadership of these other leaders, and then eventually was going to place them all under the single authority of Daniel. They didn't like that. 
Because they knew that their plan, their scheme was about to implode because Daniel was the kind of man that could not be bribed. Daniel was beyond corruption and they knew their whole system would fail under his leadership. And so they were dishonest to begin with and the king gives them ear. The second thing is that they were, that they were devious. Daniel 6.4, look, look at verse 4. It says, at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of governmental affairs, but they were unable to do so. They had used every means available to them. The Babylonian FBI, undercover Chaldeans, gossipy neighbors, you name it. They turned over every stone looking for something to get at Daniel. They were devious. They were going to let this thing go. Now, at your place of employment, we've been talking about how this affects our, our working environments. And actually, folks, this, this is deeper than just your working environment. This is, this is life in general, okay? So regardless of where you work or if you work outside the home, um, take note of this, will you please? Be very careful who you listen to. Be gracious in your words and actions. Treat others with equal interest regardless of their positions. Practice the golden rule, but... But be very careful who you listen to. I wish all people were equally concerned for the truth and the well-being of others, but it simply isn't so. There are those who will befriend you to see how far they may profit from your association. Steer clear of those kinds of people. Don't listen to them. Treat them generously, but steer clear. If not, you may become the unwitting accomplice in their dishonest and their devious plans. You learn who is honest and trustworthy. Listen to them. The others, you just smile and go on. Here's another lesson to learn. Be careful what you believe. Be careful who you listen to and be careful who you believe. Now, since this group couldn't dig up any dirt on Daniel, they took a bold new approach. Look in verses 5 and following. <clears throat> Finally, these men said, we will never find a basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless, unless it has something to do with his law, the law of his God. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king, and they said, oh, King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or any man during the next 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown to the lion's den. Now, O king, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So, King Darius put the decree into writing. That sounded pretty good to him. This group of conspirators had to meet secretly, likely at night, probably in some dark corner, to conjure up this kind of a plan to plot Daniel's demise. And you can't do these things out in the open. You can't do them out in the daylight because, well, the light exposes such evil deeds and reprehensible actions. Darkness is required for such plotting because the light always exposes the sin. Jesus had a lot to say about what happens in light and darkness. And in his conversation with the seeker Nicodemus, Jesus not only gives us that Im incredible pearl of Scripture, John 3.16, but if you go down about three more verses, he also says this in John 3.19. They are judged by this fact. 
The light has come into the world, but they did not want light. They wanted darkness because they were doing evil things. All who do evil hate the light and will not come to the light because it will show all the evil that they do. But those who follow the true way come to the light and it shows that the things they were doing were done through God. You see, in the dark, we don't have to come face to face with who we are or what we are doing. In the darkness, our motives remain hidden. There was an interesting study done a few years ago at Halloween time. Uh, researchers, uh, instead of having a person uh, meet the trick-or-treaters that came up onto the front porch, simply put a bowl of candy on the front porch with a little sign that's, that read, take only one piece of candy. And what they discovered, they had a hidden camera there, and they were in another room recording all the results. And what they, what they discovered was that the older the child, the more likely they were to take a piece, an extra piece of candy or two or three. And, and males did that more than females. So the older boys were the greatest violators of the rule. And then they also learned this. If the kids had masks on, they took more candy than the kids who didn't have masks on. And then they, then they changed the study, and they put a mirror on the wall behind the bowl of candy. And you know what they found out? It reduced the violation by 55% in the older kids and 15% in the younger kids. They waited two years, did the same study, and the same result uh, evolved. There is something about having to come face to face with our own guilt that keeps us from doing what we want to do. I, I want you to know that when we compare ourselves to the light of the world himself, Jesus, this light that we are to mirror to this world, when we compare ourselves to him, we are much less likely to violate his word. You see, when you live in the light, it's far more difficult to make the wrong decision. You can still make them, but it just is a lot more awkward. When you're in the darkness, when you're in the shadows, it's easy to do the wrong thing because you think nobody can see, but I'm here to tell you the light of the world always sees. So guard against believing what you hear from the dark, shadowy corners of life. The king should have known better than to listen to these guys who came to him. The king should have known better than to believe what these guys came to tell him. Now, you've got to admit, this is a foolproof plan. Given Daniel's faithfulness in prayer and the fact that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, it, once the king signed the law, nobody could revoke it, not even the king himself. And, and notice, these, these guys were shrewd. I mean, they didn't ask for a permanent change. Don't pray to anybody except the king. They just asked for 30 days. 30 days, they knew that's all it would take. Actually, folks, it would only take one day. They knew that they would catch Daniel in, in, in one day. That's how faithful Daniel was. But they knew that going to the king and saying, you know, people ought to, ought to pray to only you one day. Uh, it's not, it's not. So they said 30 days. 30 days, nobody gets to pray to anybody else but to you, O king, because you are so deserving. And you can just see the chest of Darius swell. They left nothing to chance. They even laid out the punishment for the crime. They said, and if somebody is caught praying to anybody else, they should be thrown to the lions. Now, who can, who can withhold and, and, and stand up against the onslaught of hungry lions? Not just one, but a whole den. 
You should have been reminded of the power of lions just a couple weeks ago when Diana Hansen, an intern at the Cat Haven, a California big cat sanctuary, uh, was killed by one of these lions. So you, that was big news in the last couple weeks. But, but researchers, when they got in to try and figure out what exactly had happened, I don't know if you read this or not, but evidently the latch that was containing the lion was partially undone and the lion was able to lift the latch the rest of the way, crept up on her, and, and the investigator said with one swipe of his paw, broke her neck, and she died. That's deadly power. No wonder the apostle Peter wrote, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Be careful what you believe. The king took it all in, hook, line, and sinker. Dale Carnegie wrote, flattery is telling the other person precisely what he thinks about himself. Oh, the, the king was, oh, he was so flattered by, by their plan and their idea. Flattery is like cheap aftershave cologne. An occasional whiff won't hurt. You just don't want to swallow it. If you're an employer or a boss this morning, be careful what you believe among your employees. You'll hear all kinds of things, but learn to be discerning. If you have an employee who's always pointing out the flaws of other employees, you keep your eyes on that employee. If you have one that's always flattering you, be on your guard. Flattery can be a strong verbal narcotic, but you don't want to believe everything that you hear. And because he was so infatuated with the compliments, Darius didn't think through the consequences of a 30-day decision. I'm here to tell you, be careful what you believe, or you may be sucked into a plan or a plot or an idea or a thought or something that you will say later, I didn't think it through. I didn't look at the consequences. Former UCLA basketball coach John Wooden wrote this. He said, you can't let praise or criticism get to you. It is a weakness to get caught up in either one. Some criticism will be honest and some won't. Some praise you will deserve and some you won't. You have to take both in the same light. It's true. When we believe everything that is said about us or to us, we're in trouble. Encouragement is necessary because it motivates us to persevere when we feel like giving up. But criticism is also necessary because it motivates us to excel in an otherwise mediocre life. The book of Proverbs states it well. In the end, people appreciate frankness more than flattery. Proverbs 28, 23. Here's the last thing. Be careful how you live. Now, I didn't read all of verse 4 a few minutes ago, and I want to take you back to the last part of verse 4 because it's just a beautiful statement on the life and the character of Daniel. Daniel says, they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Wow. What a verse. Now, that's a great summation of Daniel's entire life and service in Babylon. That would make a wonderful epitaph, wouldn't it? But few of us would be deserving of such words to be carved into our stone. Daniel was so trustworthy and incorruptible that the only way these villainous rubes could get at him was to take the Word of God and use it against him. Now, here's the part that really gets me, folks. 
Remember, this was temporary. It was how long? 30 days. I can see myself in this circumstance saying, Lord, <clears throat> you know, for the last 80 years, I've been faithful to you in prayer. This is a new kingdom. It's a new regime. It's a new king. He's made a mistake. I don't want to ruffle the feathers. I don't want to cause problems. I don't want to die when it's unnecessary. So, Lord, I'm just going to back away from my prayer life for 30 days, and when this law passes into oblivion, I'll resume my prayer life. Okay, God? Not Daniel. First day. He is as faithful in his prayer to God as before. How many of us go 30 days without really praying to God anyway? I mean, heartfelt, genuine prayer. Not one day passed, but what Daniel wasn't a man of his convictions to his faith. And before Daniel could even utter an amen, this group of enemies was back in the king's palace tattling gleefully on Daniel. Now, the king is dismayed at the thought of Daniel's impending death. Verse 14 says, the king became very upset when he heard this. He wanted to save Daniel, and he worked hard until sunset trying to think of a way to save him. As a matter of fact, the king's efforts were so noble that this group of, this group of enemies got really nervous, and so they hurried back to the palace. In verse 15, it says, then those men went as a group to the king, and they said, now remember, king, the law of the Medes and the Persians says that no law or command given by the king can be changed. You've got to do this. You can't get out of this. You can't save Daniel. He's a goner. He's supper for the lions. So the king reluctantly orders the issue to be done, but prays that God will rescue his friend. Daniel is thrown to the lions, and the king returns to the palace where he refuses any entertainment. He will not eat. He cannot sleep. And at the break of dawn, the king hurries back and with trepidation in his voice, speaks into the darkness of the den, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you always worship, been able to save you from the lions? I don't know if there was a pause. I don't know how many seconds ticked off. And then Dan Daniel answers, May the king live forever. My God has sent an angel to shut the mouths of the lions. The king is overjoyed. Daniel tells him, God did this because I was found innocent in his sight. But the king is now angry at those who he knows has duped him and used him to get rid of an honest man. And so the punishment that had been assigned to Daniel now becomes the punishment for all of these men and their families. And this time there is no angel to stop the mouths of the lions. And this time the lions are extra hungry because they didn't get fed the night before. And no one escapes. Will you please note this? Listen carefully. Don't ever use God's word to justify wicked behavior. Don't ever use God's word and turn it against God or his people. God will not easily overlook such spiritual stupidity. There is a price for every decision. There are consequences for sinful behavior, and the consequences are costly. Now, folks, I can't promise you that if you always make the right decision, God will intervene and somehow spare you as dramatically as he did Daniel in the lion's den. After all, when Jesus was in the garden, when Jesus was on the cross, 
God did not allow the angels to come and save him. And so, in the midst of your challenges and your struggles, when you pray that God may intervene or intercede, he may not like he did with Daniel. But I can assure you that when you do what is right, God will be there with you. And when you can't see what the future holds, do the right thing anyway, because it is always the right thing. Corey Tinboom, who survived a Nazi concentration camp, said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Being faithful to God matters more than anything. There may be times when you feel as if you've been through the fiery furnace or that you've been thrown to the lion. So take time to read the handwriting on the wall. God has a place for each one of us in his plan. It may not be clear now, but trust God and he can take even the most tragic of circumstances and out of that pain bring promise. Judy Anderson grew up as the daughter of missionaries in Zaire. As a little girl, she uh, said that she remembered going to a, an anniversary celebration. It was the 100th anniversary celebration of Christian missionaries coming to that part of Zaire where her family had served. After a full day of long speeches and lots of music, she said the day was about over when an old man came up to the front of the crowd and asked to speak, and they were at first reluctant to let him do so, and he said, if I do not speak, I will die soon and take a secret to my grave. I am the only one left who knows this. And so they let him speak. He explained that when Christian missionaries came a hundred years before, his people thought the missionaries were strange and their message unusual. And he said, so the tribal chiefs got together and they decided that they would test these missionaries and they began over a period of months and years to slowly poison them to death. In the coming months and years, missionary children died one by one and the missionary stayed. And then the old man said, it, as, it was as we watched how they died that we decided we wanted to live as followers of Christ. The story had gone untold for a hundred years. Nobody knew. The missionaries never knew. They, they could not figure out why they were dying such strange and painful deaths, but the story was complete. And even through that tragedy, and even though God did not intervene to spare their lives, God, out of that pain, brought the promise to a whole group of people that they would find life in Christ. In the book of Daniel, after every crisis, God was always honored. Make sure that is true in your life and work. Do the people around you who work with you, who live with you, do, do they see that in you? Do they have a better understanding of God because of the way you act? Do your deeds and actions point others to him? Do you make it easier for other people to believe? After all, that's why we're here. So that each one can reach one with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the way Daniel lived. Everything he did pointed to God. The, these wretched people that were trying to plot his death knew the only way they were ever going to get him is if they could find a way to trip him up in his faithfulness to God. We're here 
to serve the King of kings and Lord of lords. Don't go looking for a spiritual fight. That's not good. There'll be plenty that'll come right to your lap. Just be wise as serpents and gentle as doves and make the most of the opportunities. But when the lion of compromise roars, you stay steadfast in Jesus Christ. Daniel reminds us that even in tough times and unfamiliar places, God can still use us to fulfill his purpose. Daniel is a wonderful example that a winsome, kindly approach will always accomplish more. Throughout his years in a foreign land among a foreign people, Daniel never acted haughty or inconsiderate or less than gracious, even to his detractors. He was a man of consistent grace in a difficult place. I hope you and I can be the same. And Daniel's greatest work, it was in his prophecy that there was a Savior coming 500 years into the future. And the Savior that Daniel longed to know is the same Savior that invites you to know him. Do you this morning? He'll be with you in your convictions. He'll go with you into the lion's den, and he will sustain you in the face of vicious opposition. Don't ever stop trusting him. Don't ever stop trusting him. It's always good to trust an unknown future to a known God.